the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. It's time to open up the big old bag of mail. Reminder, if you want to add a question to a future mailbag episode, the way you can do it, or the best way you can do it, is to go and leave us a five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts. In the review, you include your question. We will add it to the big old bag of mail. Uh, we are loving making this a weekly part of the show, especially as we're you know hitting you with the, the nitty-gritty, with the spring gleaning. Uh, by the way, SEC coming up next week, so make sure you uh, be on the lookout for that subscribe so that you don't even have to put in any effort. It comes right to your device. So leave us a five-star review, put your question in there. We'll add it to a future mailbag episode that we always appreciate those. We've got some good ones coming today. You know, we're going to be taking a look at uh, closing the talent gap. We're going to be talking about forcing fandom on children. Um, our favorite, some of our favorite comeback stories in all of college football and much more. Uh, first, we want to remind you, just like we told you on Wednesday's episode, that there is a very, very special edition of the All Things Covered podcast right now. It's available. All Things Covered is our friend BMAC, Brian McFadden, and Patrick Peterson linking up, and their guest this week is Nick Saban. Nick Saban weighs in on the potential of an 18 playoff. Uh, his own coaching future and uh, you know some a little bit of memory memory lane going back telling some stories and uh and an evaluation of uh sort of you know what he looks for in a successful quarterback so if you're thinking about mac jones your favorite team might have a top 10 top 15 pick make sure to go check that out again that all things covered with patrick peterson and brian mcfadden available on all podcast platforms and youtube okay we have uh it was it was kind of a, a wild um kind of a wild twist as uh, on the just quick news and headlines i was said okay ohio state and duke are among the uh the early spring practice pauses that we have and then the basketball team pulled out of the acc tournament uh it, we don't have to connect those two necessarily but they they certainly have been on my mind uh as as we've been trying to handle the breaking news and make our adjustments on the college basketball side but the you know as we are starting to see uh some of these pauses with spring practice are you are you concerned about the disruption do you think we should factor it in as part of the the way of going about business is going to happen just the way it was in the in the regular season you know, at, does it uh does it raise to any level of attention for you as more and more teams are beginning to jump into spring practice right now? I mean, I, I think it's a legitimate concern. I think that we'll probably see, it probably won't be the last disruptions we see. I don't think it'll be, or I hope at least it won't be drastic as far as widespread. Cause I think that everything's kind of heading in a direction where Everything seems to be winding down. Vaccinations are becoming more and more prevalent. More people are getting them. We're all heading in the right direction for being able to get all this stuff in. And we're heading like even in Chicago, like the, there had been, you know, which has been very kind of stringent on all of this stuff throughout the whole thing. Chicago has even announced that, you know, when the Cubs and White Sox open in April next month, there's going to be fans allowed at the stadium, which is a huge sea change in just the way that this state has approached things. And I think that's an indication of just the way things are going in general. So 
I'm optimistic that, yeah, we're, we're going to see some stoppages. We're probably going to see some delays. Maybe some schools have to push practices back a few weeks. But I don't think it's going to be a problem where we're seeing schools get their spring practices completely wiped out. That, to me, is the critical point here because there are a lot of schools that need to have spring practices, whether you're you know, Ohio State trying to figure out who's following up Justin Fields, Texas trying to you know, implement a new offense for Steve Sarkeesian, uh, wherever you are, where last year you canceled and it was, we have no idea what's on the horizon, how long is this going to go, and you just, you know, and then finally it was, we're going to shut down, we're not going to have spring. This year, yeah, you'll see pauses, but I think this is one of the advantages of having been a year into this, having already gone through an entire season where teams have dealt with pauses before, so they kind of know that the windows of time they have to quarantine guys, to keep them separate, and to kind of how to get through these rough patches as it pertains to COVID-19 so that you'll still get your 15 practices. That might be a pain in the neck for some schools, and it might break, you know, cut into some guys' semesters. It'll make it drag out longer, which isn't fun for the players. But as far as the work that needs to be done and the practices, they'll get done. I think that's the thing I'm most confident in. But yeah, this we'll see more pauses than just these first two. Yeah, I just want to see everyone get 15. I, I think that that's it's huge, like you said. And there will be specific micro. Uh, instances of maybe there being a, a certain position battle where a player, you know, can't get out there because they test positive for COVID. They go into protocol and so they miss out on the opportunities to get those reps. Those are going to be things that uh, are going to be probably popping up here and there all throughout college football. But as long as we are able to get all of the college football teams with their 15 practices in, then I, I at least am happy for those coaches. Uh, I guess player, Danny, did you like spring practice? I was about uh, to say I'm happy for the players, but it seems like the players were like more excited about getting the games in. Like I don't, yeah, I feel like because, coaches like the spring practices more. Yeah. I mean, you play football and you put in the work, so you get the reward of the game. Yeah. And since you don't get that, it I found it incredible stressful. You know, it was when, you're battling for positions on the depth chart. I mean, finally, after my junior year, I had one spring where it was kind of relaxing and I could just get some work and find two things, uh, find two things going into my junior. Year, I was trying to win the starting job, you know, my, after my freshman year, I'm trying to, you know, secure the backup job. So it was very stressful, but it also, you, it was a really good opportunity to get reps. And I remember, so when I got to Florida state, it was, we were very thin at quarterback and I was very thin as a freshman. Like I literally was skinny. I hadn't really developed yet. I hadn't put on my freshman 15 yet. Uh, some of it healthy weight, some of it not so healthy weight. And so I was in a green Jersey from day one, the minute I stepped on campus. Now green Jersey at Florida State, man, you were off limits to contact. I had played at a small 1A school in South Florida where the biggest guys I was playing against, I was probably bigger than them. So I never really got hit that hard. And Mark Rick used to like taunt me. He'd be like, you know, you're going to have to get hit one day. And he's like, that green jersey's coming off sooner or later. And I was like, kind of like, ha ha, I can't take it off me yet because I was one play away from playing and we didn't have a lot of depth at the position. So I remember he got his revenge on me because that first spring, he was like, oh, yeah, the green jersey's coming off, and I got wrecked. Like, you know, and there was NFL talent all over the field. Non-contact, too frail. Yes. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was, and it was not like once the jersey came off, you were live. Like, it was taking you to the ground. I mean, I got hit harder in those spring practices maybe than any game in my career at Florida State. But to my point, it was good for me. Like, I needed to feel yeah. that. I needed to know that I could go through it. So, yeah, different experiences for everybody in the spring. Yeah, as long as we get, uh, as long as everyone's is able to get in their their spring practices, then you know that huge piece that we've talked about all throughout the year in terms of uh, the work that was lost, the development, and the way that first year coaches uh, had that as another hill to climb, and then of course the new hires as well. It's it's a little bit of a, a year zero situation if you're not able to get all that work in, both for coaches and players. Uh, one more quick news and well, head. Wait. I just wanted to say the one thing, Danny, I want, I want you to confirm because as long as you don't get hurt, it's actually fun to get hit. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I always felt like I needed to get hit yeah. 
to truly get into the flow of the game. So I almost preferred that. Yeah, I like, agree. It is. Fun I think to get hit. I think that's something that a lot of people who didn't play like when you watch a football game, if you if you didn't grow up watching football or playing football and you'll see a guy get hit and then he'll get up and you're like, oh, my God, how do you do that? It's like, no, actually, as long as there aren't any like broken bones or anything, it's fun. It's an adrenaline rush to get crushed by somebody <laughs> once in a while. Um. All right. So one more piece of news. Jeff Long is out as Kansas's athletic director. You know, we talked about it first uh, addressing the story at the beginning of the week, emergency podcast for less miles being out. And then as we followed it up, uh, this, this is the next natural progression of the situation. Any, any big uh, surprise or, or thought in terms of what's next for Kansas? I mean, as far as thoughts of what should happen next or like who they're going to hire. Like I'm not expecting Kansas to have a head football coach anytime soon. Any thought that like Jeff long was going to be able to just flip a switch or call somebody off the bench. Like that's, that is out of the question now, because if you don't even have an athletic director, then you can't make a, you can't hire a head football coach. Yeah. But see, like we kind of felt the same way a couple weeks ago about Tennessee where you know they had to hire their AD before they could hire hire Jeremy Pruitt's replacement, and then they got Danny White in there pretty quickly, and Danny White got a replacement in there pretty quickly. So I'm not going to say that there's no chance that Kansas has a full-time football coach in place come the fall, but I will say that I think it's probably easier to find a coach to come to Tennessee late in the cycle than it will be to convince somebody to come to Kansas. So I would I would bet that there's more likelihood that we have an interim coach in place to start 2021, but can't rule anything out right now. Good point. I wonder if it's one of those situations like we saw at Baylor where they found Jim Grobe to kind of come in and just be the figurehead. He knew exactly what his role was. Like, is there somebody out there that exists like that where it kind of buys you time or do you just go with the interim on the staff, which is probably the easiest road to go because I mean they said they want to hire an athletic director first I mean there are some issues there I mean there are issues at Tennessee as well but I think it's going to be a significant setback to a program that's already reeling in football so I I I just think it's going to be kind of another lost season I again the the situation itself is horrible the actions that Les Miles uh are accused of are unthink like they're just ridiculously inappropriate but for the players on that team who didn't know what was going on and who were, you know, trying to face this uphill battle of turning around Kansas. I feel bad for them. Now they're going to be, now they're going to be like just collateral damage in all of this. And it stinks for them. Like they're going to be in a bad spot now. And, you know, it's kind of hard to blame them when they're going to be games and they probably get blown out by 60 and they just see them lay it down on the field. And it's just, it's human nature. Yeah. Yeah. And if there are any prospective Kansas athletic directors listening, run the option. Yeah, wrote a column about it today. It's either coming out today or tomorrow, depending on when my editor can get to it. But damn it, I've been saying it for years. I've written about it for years. Run the dang old option. It's, it's the getting best traction thing for you. It's getting traction. There's there was even a Twitter handle like Run the Triple Option that I think is trying to get it going. Like there's some there's some people out there. There's a movement that you started, Tom. So it's yeah. maybe it happens. It it has been nice to watch grow because I mean, Chip, you could attest. That I've been arguing this for schools for years, like s- smaller power five schools that are at the bottom tier of their conference who aren't the blue bloods who can't recruit to the level who like Kansas are located in an area of the country where there isn't a bunch of talent. Like I wrote in my column today. Since 2010, there have been 19 four-star recruits in the state of Kansas coming from the high school and JUCO ranks, like home state. For context, Georgia has 34 four-star betters. The state has 34 four-star betters in the 22 class alone. So when you're in an area like that where you can't really rely on recruiting top talent and you don't really have a history to rely on to convince people to come, you have to be different. And if you look at Kansas's past, like the best years of Kansas football were Mark Mangino. 
He took him to the Orange Bowl. They went 12 and one. What Mark Mangino was doing at the time was he was running an air raid offense, which he had brought from Oklahoma, where he had been the offensive coordinator for two years, won a national title. He started there as the offensive line coach in that first year Bob Stoops took over when Mike Leach was the offensive coordinator. They ran the air raid. People weren't running the air raid at the time. Mike Leach had used it at Kentucky in the SEC. All of a sudden, Kentucky was good at football because nobody had any idea what the hell to do with it. Oklahoma brings it. They go back from being mediocre to being national champions. He takes it to Kansas. They go 12 and one. They reach the Orange Bowl. Now the air raid and the spread offense is prevalent. So you have to pivot. Go back the other direction. Run the option. Be different. Cause problems. Give your opponents something to think about when they see Kansas on the schedule. Besides, oh, okay, well, that's a W. Yeah, without a doubt. It's a movement. And you have been, listen, We've been talking on it's there've been very very uh there've been several name changes but Tom Fernelli has been talking about this for a decade a damn decade trying to tell people to run the option here at CBS Sports. All right, let's dive into the big old bag of mail. We begin with coaches. This question comes from Sun Devil David. Trying a mailbag question one more time since they skipped over my question last time. <laughs> Sorry, David. A lot of questions come in. We've, uh, you know, we we try and pick and choose, and sometimes we address uh, others in a different way. So uh, this one, now you're front and center. My mailbag question is: What current NFL coach do you think would make the best college football coach, and vice versa? Which college football coach would make the best NFL coach? I, th- I feel like it's easier to project college to NFL based on the fact that I think that the direction the NFL is heading that we've seen in recent years, it's like they want offensive gurus. Like, you know, you don't like you, you could put together staff, but in the NFL, they're starting to value coaches who can really kind of bring together new schemes that really ha- aren't prevalent in the NFL yet. So for me, that struck me as like a Lincoln Riley or a Ryan day type going the other direction. I had some difficulty with this one. I I think John Harbaugh wins more games than Jim Harbaugh if he's a college football coach. Uh, maybe. I, I mean, good I like it. Good culture builder. Yep. I mean, you know, like he's he's got things in place. He's got it rolling. Jim Harbaugh won a lot of games, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Oh, yeah, yeah. We always sleep on how much success uh Jim Harbaugh has actually had. But my my NFL to college was John Harbaugh you know, culture builder, been there for a while. That's the kind of thing that you would want. And working the other way, I I wanted to bring this name up because it's one of those that like the insiders all mention, but like like Jason Lockenfora. I remember he's, he's like, he said a lot of uh, NFL people that he talks to love Matt Campbell, right? And so that's, that's one where, it, you know, clearly it is a, you know, we like the way that you handle business and and it's not all the way like the alpha nerd where he must interview really well. Matt Campbell's clearly put it together, um, you know, put together enough of a track wet record during his time at Toledo, during his time at Iowa State to really have uh, gotten the eye of the NFL. So uh, I, I was going to say Matt Campbell, I, uh, Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day, I, I feel like the that's a great off follow the offensive trends. Matt Campbell while has he has an off, offensive background, I don't necessarily view him as the kind of whiz kid. I think that he's more of the, uh, you know, he'd, he'd be more of the franchise stabilized. Like he's following in that Matt Rule line, right? Where people looked at Matt Rule and like, we just like the way you handle your business. So I kind of, I mean, because I think the obvious ones are the guys that did have success, right? Pete Carroll and Matt Rule will just rule them out for the coaches to go back. I looked at kind of a little bit off the radar here. Joe Judge for the Giants. So if you remember when he took over the job, I was actually worried about how the Giants players would respond to his style because I felt it was collegiate, like appealing to the team building, kind of corny sometimes, exercises, you know, doing drills that players don't always love, but you have to do in college. You don't have to do in the NFL. Like he spent time with Saban. He spent time with Belichick. Like I think – he could be somebody who could almost be a Matt Campbell type in college if mm-hmm. he went that route. And then for the other way, 
I went for a guy that's kind of fall. I think his name was in the market before when the program was humming a little bit better. And it's David Shaw, Stanford. Like I think his business like approach of I'm going to treat my players like grown men, like adults works almost better in the NFL than it does in college. And he's had a great run at Stanford, but I think his kind of, straightforward like it reminds me kind of tony dungy he's not a real rah-rah it's a we're gonna get this done we're gonna go to work and if you don't like it and i'll cut you or you know in the nfl you can do that so i had david shaw as my uh nfl uh college to nfl guy one coach that neither of you mentioned that was because somebody who i was thinking of as like as far as the nfl coaches going to college who i don't I, I i don't think many people would consider it's somebody who has been very successful in the nfl and it is somebody who over his tenure as an nfl head coach has seemingly had to deal with players who do things that some college kids probably still do that you think maybe maturity issues when they're in college and they're still doing them as professionals. I think Mike Tomlin would win a lot of football games as a college football coach. I think that he would be an excellent recruiter because I think he relates very well to his players. I think that his players like him. I think he's a player's coach and I think that he could, you know, keep the culture in line and keep things in line. And I think if you put Mike Tomlin at like an ACC or an SEC program, the right program, I feel like he would win a lot of games. Coca's chiming in with a couple thoughts here in the <laughs> chat. He said Cliff Kingsbury went eight and eight, which is that's his best record, right? Including yeah. Texas Tech. I don't think he ever went 500 there, did he? Maybe no. one year. And then uh, Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. And that's the easiest answer uh, for Kyle Shanahan. I. See, I, I don't, don't think, I, think I don't think Kyle works. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Kyle, the Wiz kids work. I don't think Sean McVay would work either. Yeah, because yeah. I don't think they get nearly enough time to do what they want with the players to get them into their offense. Because like Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay are showing up with like really intricate offenses, and they just don't have the time to implement them at the college level. That's a very good point. Who would be the worst? I'm 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 just taking hold of this. Where where does it just burn out? Nick Saban. <laughs> No, I was going to say like, who is the, I was trying to, but I don't know. I throw shade at our guy, Charlie Weiss and be like, who is the Charlie Weiss of this? Um, you know, what NFL coach would be the worst college coach, Bill Belichick, not having the amount of time that he wants to practice and prepare for a game with his players would drive him insane. He'd be awful at it. Football really is where like the, the goat, the goat is the goat. Like the, like the streams can't cross. Like Saban tried to go to the NFL didn't work. Like Belichick couldn't come to college. It just wouldn't Pete work. Pete Carroll did it. Like Pete Carroll did it with tremendous success. I think it is personal kind of the way you can relate to people. And sometimes you can just relate to anybody. Sometimes it's either you only relate to professional or you only relate to amateur or a certain age group that's really going to buy into that motivational tactic that you have to use in college that you don't let NFL locker rooms sometimes look at you and roll their eyes. Like, but your ability to do that at both levels is pretty special. Like, I think it's where Pete Carroll is probably underrated for his success he had at both. And I know there's some some people saying, well, look at what he was doing at USC. Fair enough, but still, he won at both. Nah, he's, you can, you can take uh, Pete Carroll, especially when you start with his failures before USC and look at him as like the, the example of being able to adjust and being able to sort of figure out a new way to do it. Also, he's one of the only NFL coaches who goes on speaking tours with like mind coaches, right? Yeah. Like motivational coaches, life coaches. Yeah, whatever those are. Coming up on the other side, taking a look at some of the challenges of closing the gap in one power conference with the current Lord of the League. Next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. 
To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This next question comes from username this guy all right oh that guy that guy as a wisconsin fan i'm pretty realistic we won't win a national title but i believe we can make the playoff but that requires getting past ohio state more than once a decade three to four times would be enough for me we've been painfully close a lot four points in 2011 Seven points in 2012, seven in 2013, seven in overtime in 2016, six and just 40 yards away in 2017, and up 21 to seven in 2019 at halftime. Oh, the Badger tears are tremendous, but it's just not quite been enough. If you were a college football coach who had to find a market inefficiency in recruiting or an on-field strategy to overcome the talent gap a few more times a decade, what would it be for Wisconsin or a similar type of program? Love the pod on Wisconsin. I think that the, I think honestly, Wisconsin is doing everything it can. And I think that we've seen in recent years where Wisconsin's recruiting has gotten better. Like if you look at their latest classes, they've been pulling in a lot more four-star, five-star guys. And now a lot of them have been offensive linemen, which they've already had plenty of success developing. So will that really prove to be any kind of major bump for them? I don't know. I think that Wisconsin's, as long as Wisconsin keeps getting to the Big Ten title game, it's going to beat Ohio State eventually. It hasn't yet but it will at some point. And I think that what you're hoping for is the reality that you already live in. You just haven't seen the result that you want yet. Uh, I still think Paul Christ is one of the most underrated coaches in the country because of the consistency with which they win. If you want to close the gap with Ohio State, you got to start paying guys. Now hear me out because that may sound like a slight at Ohio State, which, hey, you know, they do get some of the best recruits in the country with, and this is one of the programs that I think may benefit uh, from name, image, and likeness, like a program that probably does it the right way. Now, granted, it's harder. They don't have the run that Ohio State has. So whether Ohio State's doing above board or not, they'll be paying people too when it's open season and everybody can, but maybe there's an opportunity for them in a football crazy town it's a great atmosphere people love their football where all of a sudden there's an opportunity to capitalize on something that's never been able to be capitalized on before and a player says you know what maybe i can go to wisconsin and i can make an extra 50 grand or whatever the number is 25 grand whatever it is and maybe they can close that gap by getting a guy or two i mean when they had Russell Wilson, they were a player. Like if, and that does seem, and it's such a cop-out, easy question, but look at the difference at some schools. Look at Texas A&M when they had Johnny Manziel and how quickly they rose to taking down Alabama, and then when he was gone, how kind of quickly they stepped back to being good and at, like a little above average, but not that good. And look at the development Clemson had when all of a sudden they went – uh, from Taj Boyd to Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence. All of a sudden, they're a dynasty. And so, I mean, there's only one coach who's been able to really win with success with average game managers at quarterback, and it's Nick Saban. And they had the best talent and the best defense in the country when they were doing it. Come to Wisconsin, and we'll get you an endorsement deal with Jordan's Big Ten Pub. There you go. See? There you right go. Right there. I mean, in the listen, court, I understand that linemen hold a special place in uh, the hearts and minds of Wisconsin football fans, 
But the the marketing gurus will tell you that social media account for a starting quarterback it's got a got a very different uh, very different value out there in the in the marketplace. It could it could happen, Danny. I like that you're starting to already formulate like the name image likeness. I feel like we've we've really come a long way. Where now you're like, all right, it's here, <laughs> it's coming. Now let's now let's get into like what's going to happen next, right? Well, and by the way, what I suggested is not going to be allowed, right? I mean, you can't, the, the school can't broker it. So it's not like they can have a, a recruiting department that says, yeah, let's make sure these recruits, but you know, you can figure it out maybe for the transfer portal too. If there's a quarterback who might be unhappy, he lost the job at Ohio state and he was a four star and he lost out to a five star. Maybe that's where you get it. Who knows? Maybe it's Graham Mertz. Maybe he's already there. You don't have to wait for that, but they do need a game changer there. I've come around full circle. Same thing on transfers. You would have talked to me five years ago on transfers. I'd have been like, these kids are scared. They don't want to compete. What about take my ball and go home? And now I'm to the point where let's flip it and look at the way programs have, because I guarantee you coaches would have approached that the exact same way. I can't stand it. I've fought, fight tooth and nail to go against the transfer rule, like getting just opened up with no penalty. Now coaches are like, it's coming. How do we make our program better? We go after those transfers. So I'm kind of taking the approach that coaches are now too. Yeah, it's, it's pragmatic. It's practical. We can't just sit here and kick and scream all the <laughs> way across the finish line. And I, I agree. The, on, on Wisconsin, you're, just keep knocking. Just keep knocking on the door. Keep showing up. Maintain that high level that you're the best team. And at, at some point, either Ohio State won't be there in the Big Ten title game or you'll actually you know do the job and take them down and be able to have that Big Ten title. So, uh, Graham Mertz could be the difference, Danny, as you mentioned. Next question from username Hawkeye in Nebraska. Subject, concerned future dad. Best CFB pod out there, and there's no debate, even with the roster changes, RIP Barton. Again, he's not dead. Uh, I would be lying if I said I didn't go back and play a few locks pods during the offseason just to hear that jingle and feel <laughs> the rush of college football betting. Love this. Shout out to you, Tom. You had me at wonder represent the big 10 and a sea of ACC guys, and then show some love for the Hawkeye helmet. Let's go. My wife and I are Iowa grads and avid Hawkeye fans living right over the border in Omaha, boo, Nebraska. We, ex- we are expecting our first child in August and are not finding out the gender till birth. My question to you is, do you allow your kids to choose their favorite sports teams on their own? Or do you infuse your favorite teams very early on to ensure they don't stray from the pack? DK, I can imagine your girls decked out in Knowles gear, even down to the little cheek tattoos every Saturday. I can't imagine my child getting misled into the dazed and confused Husker tribe stuck in the 90s, worshiping the legacy of Tom Osborne and Scott Frost, parentheses, the player, because of that's what's popular. Gentlemen, this is why I'm reaching out to you today. Well, you two have kids. I'll let you take the floor here first. I love it. It's awesome. Um, I'll say you got to start them young. I didn't go over the top because I have all girls uh, with the Florida State stuff, although we had a bunch of people give us cheerleading outfits. No offense to cheerleaders, but I was like, I want ballers. Like, I want, like, if you give me some, <laughs> you give me a Florida State golf shirt, she'll wear that. We had football jerseys. They wore the football jerseys. And no offense. If they want to be cheerleaders, we'll have them be cheerleaders. But I was like, I want them to be ballers. Um, but there's all, I have three daughters. Now, I haven't experienced it yet, but I feel like 13 year olds give me a little attitude lately. Like, she's kind of coming into our own. There's always going to be that one kid who's probably just going to be a Gator fan or a Canes fan just to be that kid that's going to fight you with everything, that kind of real stubborn, hard-nosed, like thick-headed, that might be my oldest and may not because she's actually still sticking with Florida State stuff. But we actually, what's hard is when you live in a state like I do, like I live in South Florida now, uh, when they were younger, we'd have friends when they were like two or three would pay them like two or three bucks, five bucks to say, go Gators or something. They would try to brainwash them, which I'm sure people can understand if you live in a, in a state where there's in-state rivalries, but I've done a pretty good job protecting them. Uh, and I took them to the Rose Bowl, which was actually tough because I took them to the Rose Bowl when Florida State got beat by Oregon. It wasn't close. And they, they felt a little overwhelmed because it was 90% 
Oregon fans because that was the year after Florida State had just been in LA for the national championship game it was the semifinal so it was like yeah if you're gonna go to one trip wait for the repeat so there was nobody there from Florida State so they were kind of like where are all the fans like where is everybody um but yeah they're still on the Florida State bandwagon as we speak it's very tenuous though much like um a uh much like a father who is prepared to get way too involved in recruiting and break some uh, NCAA rules, uh, my son's early fandom interests are available if for bribes. If you, whoever is taking, like, you know, whether it's a grandparents, whether it's uncles or cousins or, you know, family friends, whoever's got the tickets and is showing up with the experience, that's. That's going to be what's in the lead. Like, that's going to win. And it is right now probably a, a showdown between NC State and UNC. Got family members coming from both camps. Uh, covering college football, you know, there's limited amount of hanging out at the game that I can do. But, you know, if if you want to come and offer tickets to my son, then, yeah, you're probably going to get a little bit further on down the road to getting his commitment of fandom uh, when it comes to the, like, forcing fandom. I'm probably just coming hard with the Carolina Hurricanes. That's all. <laughs> See, I, 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 I would indoctrinate. You would? Yeah, I mean, it's like they're, they're your kid. Have, share, have something to share with them. If you're a sports fan, if you care enough about a team, but obviously I think this guy's wife and him do. He's talking about Iowa. He listens to this podcast. Indoctrinate your kid into being an Iowa fan. It's part of the whole family deal. Have him grow up. Now, when he grows up, he might not go to Iowa. That's he true. might go to a different college and become a fan of that team and still be an Iowa fan. It's fine. Like my, I come from a family of Cubs fans, and my sister's a Cubs fan. Her husband's a Cubs fan. There are three kids. They're all Cubs fans. I've bought them all White Sox gear just to troll <laughs> them a little bit. But my my nephew Jake is in Little League and he plays in a Little League in the suburbs where the White Sox sponsor the league. So therefore, every team in the league is the White Sox. They're just a different color variation of it with the White Sox logo. So he plays for the Green Sox and it drives him nuts. He hates it because he's a Cubs fan. I hate the White Sox. When I bought him a White Sox hat, he was like, oh, he threw it. He's like, this is garbage. I don't want it. That's fun. Indoctrinate your kids. Make them whatever fans you want them to be. Give them, you know, it's just, it's part of the whole family bond. If you're a family that cares about sports, and then when they grow up, they're going to choose on their own anyway. But when they're kids, keep them while you have them. I got a beef that I need you guys to settle for me because it's gone on for 20, 30 years now. Awesome. So I grew up, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, South Florida, where I had some buddies who were hurricane fans. Now I have two specifically that I'm referencing uh, that were massive hurricanes fans, but didn't go to Miami when I was at Florida state and we were buddies. Like we go back, we played T-ball together. They rooted against me. Like they wanted me to lose at Florida state. And it bothered me because I was like, we are friends. Like that should come before a rivalry. Like you should be rooting for me to succeed. And then when I'm done starting, you can go back to rooting for the Hurricanes. But while I'm here, like I took it personally. Like it's still a little bit awkward. Something that irks me the wrong way. Is that acceptable behavior? Like we're talking high school buddies. Like we played baseball together. We go back. I mean, it's we go. There's history. And it was like, that shouldn't be more important than the rivalry. It bothered me so much. That's that's 100% acceptable to me because I feel like part of the whole male bond, male friendship thing is giving your friend crap at every single chance you can give. So like, honestly, like I grew up, the college teams I, I grew up rooting for, I, I followed the Big Ten close and it was Notre Dame because that, that was just the more popular team in the city of Chicago anyway with people who cared about college football. So like, had I had a friend who went to Michigan and was playing for Michigan and they were playing Notre Dame, I would totally intentionally root for Notre Dame just to piss them off. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's competition. It's smack talk. Like it's, if it comes yeah, from, but a, it's not like the team you're, it's me. It's not, it's, it's me. It's your boy. Like you're what are still we my friend. I just don't want your team to win. I, That's all. <laughs> what if I get benched and lose my job? Like what if I don't go to the NFL? Like this could impact us for life. <laughs> I, yeah, my, I would say that that was one, one thing that changed when I started working in sports wasn't that I swore off fandom for any like ethics reasons. I just started meeting people who worked at these universities and they became my friends. And then I was like, Oh, well, 
they're they're a nice person. They're they're pretty good. I'm 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 a little bit less involved in hating every single aspect about said rival. Yes, that's the thing too. It's like I used to hate teams too, and I used to hate schools, and now I, I just can't do that anymore. It's like eh. once you see how the sausage is made, kind of like what you're saying, Chip. It's just it's like eh, it's just a bunch of people doing a bunch of stuff, trying to do their best for the most part. I don't want anything bad to happen to any of them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, this next question. Thanks, guys, for all the great content. You make the long rides to and from work more enjoyable each day. Question, with spring football just around the corner, one of the major stories will be that of McKenzie Milton. Not only uh, not only his attempt to bring success back to Florida State, but it would really be an incredible comeback stories. What are some of your favorite comeback stories in college football history, injury, or anything else? And what have you heard about Milton's status parentheses assuming danny would have a scoop he's got to go back and listen to the uh the <laughs> off-season knolls to go that we did what was it probably three weeks ago because mm-hmm. there was that booster event where i got to talk to mike norvell he was extremely bullish on mckenzie milton was excited about him working out with the team uh it will be an incredible uh comeback story if he comes back and just starts like who cares about it's kind of like alex smith what he did in the nfl like you know, it was just an amazing story. That would be one of the better comeback stories of all time. Uh, I was trying to think about other ones. Like uh, Tua coming back to get drafted fifth overall from the Dolphins is incredible, but that's not really a college comeback story. Um, I was trying to think. Like, I don't. Do you guys have any? I mean, Taysom Byron Hill, Leftwich going out there on a broken leg. Oh yeah, and, like, that was incredible. Up the field is yeah. one of those incredible kind of you know during a game comeback stories. But I don't. So are there other ones that you guys can think of where there was a nasty injury where somebody comes back from and, and it's a comeback story? Uh, yeah, Taysom Hill, a nasty leg injury at BYU. And he's obviously been able to return from that and uh, spin it forward into... Become a thorn in the side of Saints fans everywhere. <laughs> yeah, spin it into you know a, a full NFL career. And so, you know, those that was a, a it was a leg fracture and it was a, a nasty injury. The other one, a little bit more recent... I, Amari Rogers, uh, I think he tore his ACL. He suffered a really bad knee injury in spring practice. And this is more incredible on the timetable because the man was back in like October of like the, the next season. So that was a, that was a wild, um, that was a wild return and recovery. And obviously he was one of Clemson's best wide receivers last year. Uh, that return from injury, I believe was in 2019. I could be wrong about that. I'm sure Woody Whitehurst will, uh, will let me know. Yeah, there's there's not a long list of guys who've had the severity of injury that Mackenzie Milton had. So we don't it's hard to have a track record, but I would say just to be optimistic, like the strides that have been made in just medical fields and the kind of surgeries and the rehabs that they do for athletes and are capable of doing just in the last 20 years is remarkable. So it's like I, there's a certain level of optimism I have now where I think if even if Mackenzie Milton doesn't come back and he's not UCF Mackenzie Milton, I still think that he's going to be good enough. Whereas that kind of injury, you know, a decade ago or 15 years ago, he's done, period. Like mm-hmm. there's really no hope of him coming back at that point. No doubt. All right. Uh, this next one is from Lucas. All right. His, I, like, I like this because he took... Uh, a, a nugget from the show and he's spinning it forward. He's adding our own thoughts. He's participating in the conversation. It's one of the great things you can do from the big old bag of mail. Lucas writes, been a cover three listeners since 2018 and what a ride it has been seeing the growth of the podcast from back then to where it is today has been nothing short of incredible. And it's a testament to the great job y'all do love listening to Danny's stories and adding budget to the show is a great move. We'll always miss Barton, but I know y'all four will continue to put out excellent content for years to come. Cover three podcast is a consensus five-star college football podcast. Also really enjoyed the cover three 500th celebration episode, some great moments, but I will say my favorite cover three moment of all time was Tom taking UCLA plus 18 and a half against Washington state on one of the locks pods in 2019. And then listening to chip and Barton losing their minds, trying to talk him out of it. Then the ending instant reaction pod of y'all watching the insane game live. It was an iconic cover three moment. 
question statement. I wanted to expand a little on an idea Danny mentioned a few episodes ago. I really liked his idea of moving bowl games to the beginning of the season. Here are my thoughts expanding on Danny's proposal. Number one, expand the playoffs to eight and make the New Year's Six Bowl permanent playoff games. Uh, move all the other bowls to the beginning of the season. Bowl eligible teams that did not make the playoffs would be selected to bowl games at the end of the season and would play those bowls in week zero or week one of the following season. This would solve several issues. Number one, players would not opt out of bowl games, making it more exciting, would create really interesting and intriguing matchups for the beginning of the next season, would provide content to talk about all offseason, and would solve or at least eliminate some of the schedule issues where teams schedule games 10 years away, would allow athletic departments to hype the game all offseason, sell ticket packages, trip packages, would allow fans more time to plan, travel, save money, and attend the game, and would allow non-playoff bowl teams to survive and exist in the playoff era bowl games would be played in warm weather so even trips to cold weather places like boise idaho would be more enjoyable many teams already play neutral site games to open the season and this is a way of continuing that trend but with bowl games it would essentially be the equivalent of college basketball teams playing in those neutral site tournaments like the maui invitational teams that are not bowl eligible would just operate normally and schedule their own games for the following season thoughts i love it now likelihood of it happening even though i was one of the ones that suggested it like let's move the balls to the beginning of the season less than one percent don't you think i mean there's just it's just knowing the forces of college football even with major change coming upon us i don't think the liberty bowl is going to be too pumped about moving it early um I think it'd be great. Maybe you see the growth of those week zero matchups. Maybe it takes place over a long time, but I do think like my, the reason I suggested it was to try to do away with the opting out. Mm -hmm. Now, if the opting out bothers you, it's here to stay. I'm pretty a firm believer in that players are still going to opt out for the last two games. Then maybe the last three games, you know, whenever their team is kind of out of, the running for a conference title or whatever bowl, you know, if there's not a bowl game, just when their season kind of goes to crap, there's going to be players that opt out. So I don't know if there's really any full protection from that, but I thought it was an intriguing idea to move those forward. And he's right with some of those, you know, do you want to go to the Idaho potato bowl, you know, in December, or do you want to go in August when it's beautiful out there? But at the same time, do you want to come play at the Boca bowl when it's 95 and humid and you know <laughs> players will be dropping like flies. So there's a give and take with some of the bold restructuring to the beginning of the season. I uh, like to pull back and just get a little bit. I hate to be a big old bucket of cold water, but the same organizations that host these bowl games also are the ones that are organizing these kickoff games and why are you going to ask them or why would these organizations be interested in having half as many games right like the the group that does the uh the duke's mayo bowl also does a duke's mayo kickoff game and this year that duke's mayo kickoff game has two games with app state and ecu playing as the uh, opener and then clemson georgia as the headliner they're not going to be interested in losing the, that opportunity and replacing it with the bowl game they're already hosting so it's like we are going to see more bowl like matchups at the beginning of the season but they are going to be because of the opportunities for you know sponsorship ticket sales things like that yeah, regardless of the chances of it happening, <clears throat> the one area that I'm very philosophically opposed to the idea is just that bowl games are meant to be rewards to the teams for their accomplishments during the season. Now, granted, you can make an argument that teams that went six and six probably don't really deserve that reward, but bowl games are rewards for the teams at the end of the year. If you move the bowl games to the beginning of the year, Sure, players will be playing and not opting out, but half the players who played the season before who earned the right for the team to be in the bowl game can't play in that game because they've graduated or they've moved on to the NFL. That's true. The uh, I, I wouldn't mind it if it became the standard, though. If it was like 
Uh, yeah, yeah, games are still going to be scheduled a year out, but you know, week zero or week one, we're not going to know the matchups until the end of the season. And then it's a, a big draw and when you get all your matchups and then you do have some of those advantages that uh, were mentioned by Lucas where you spend all off season uh, trying to get things together. Danny, I guess, have it, have y'all ever like really done the, obviously we've had to travel for work and Danny, you had to put things together for playing or for work, like from the fan perspective to go from zero to 60, be sitting there on bowl announcement night, find out your uh, game and then buy your flights, get your hotels. A lot of the schools, you know, they put those packages together for you, but it's stressful. You got to make some tough decisions real fast. I would, I do think that that one aspect of it from the fan perspective would be a lot more fun and easy. I mean, granted, I was in my early 20s and had no responsibilities, but Illinois going to the Sugar Bowl did not take a whole lot of time and effort to figure out how to get there and find the time. Well, did you hop in a car? Oh, yeah. So, but I do think what Chip brings up, though, if you're a family of four and it's not drivable, like the example I gave with Florida State earlier, that was a playoff game. In the first year of the playoffs, I think, yeah, it was the first year of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And they're Florida State, and I don't blame them. They're like, hey, we just spent three grand, five, whatever the number was, to bring my entire family out there to find tickets online. And then, oh, by the way, you don't find out until a few weeks before. So the ticket prices are jacked up for airfare. Like it, it is a significant cost. I'm always amazed at the sacrifice people make to get two games and the amount of financial commitment that it takes. But I do think it's something that. We've seen the drop in attendance in the regular season at, you know, at the home games for a lot of schools. I think it's something that should be considered for a lot of these schools. But unfortunately, the Bulls don't really care about the attendance. Yes, it looks good on TV, but they're more important about getting the game on television so that people can watch it because that's where most of their money's coming from. Got it. Got to love bowl commercials. Bowl commercials are fantastic. Give me all of the Gildan sweatshirt. <laughs> commercials <laughs> i am a ceo you've never heard of and you're not going to remember my name in 30 seconds and i would like to thank you for watching the gildan bowl the, the the indoctrination that's happening right now with my son is watching crappy bowl games european soccer and a lot of college basketball that's basically what's happening and what we're doing for cheering well it depends on how daddy's day is doing that's what we're rooting for we're gonna learn. Hey, we're gonna learn uh, our. We're gonna learn our addition and subtraction based on hitting under one thirty three and a half on the early games in MSG in the Big East tournament. <laughs> All right, uh, final one. This one's from Patrick. Hey guys, I love the pod. I think Bud is the perfect replacement for Barton. I'm a huge BC fan. Boston College. Wanted to ask if you think that Boston College could be a top twenty five team by the end of next year. Also, you guys know Norlander and GP, right? Because Chip got mentioned on the Ion College Basketball Podcast recently. Keep up the good work. And then a bunch of uh, eagle emojis. Yes, we have worked with Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish for a long time. They are friends. And uh, and I've been doing a lot of CBS Sports HQ for college basketball. So I think that that's why they were. And I'm a listener of that podcast too. So uh, shouts to Devin Downey. But Boston College, top 25 team, tall ask. Yeah. I, I look I, at Boston College as a top 40 team, right? You know, they're like a top half of college football, but maybe, maybe there's like, I don't think Boston College is going to finish the season in the top 25, but I think there's a chance that they could sneak in early in the season because like, you know, they're coming off a good season. So they're going to have as much hype as reasonably can be expected for Boston College at a national level in a college football season. But they play Colgate to open. That's a win. Then they get UMass. That's a win. Then they get Temple on the road, and that's a very winnable game. But then they get Mizzou mm. at home. And I feel like an SEC team, if Boston College can beat Missouri at Top home, five. start Bam. off at 4-0 with a road game against Clemson next week. So, you know, might be a little influence there to make that game a little more attractive. I think BC could sneak into the top 25 if they get off to a 4-0 start this year. That is their window of opportunity right there. That's, that's where it is. So yeah, it's I mean, all downhill it, it, from there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So many, so many teams of the ACC look at their schedule. Like if we can get into the top 25 before we play Clemson, when Clemson exposes us and makes us look like a bottom feeder, then we'll be good. 
man, it wasn't that. I mean, I, I got in the reason I went and looked this up. I was, uh, they have these ACC legends classes that they do. I don't know why. I don't know what the purpose of it is just to name you a legend. They have like a banquet at the bowl game or at the ACC championship game. And I was at the ACC championship game. I think it was Boston college versus Virginia tech. Uh, and it, and I was looking up what BC finished. Like when was the last time they finished the season in the top 25 in 2018, they were at 17, but they didn't finish there with Steve Adazio. They finished seven and five. Their strongest, they got to number two in 2007 with Matt Ryan, but they finished the season at 10. Uh, long way to go to get back to there. But I do think top 25 this season is in play with that 4-0 start. Yeah, but you're not finishing the year. Like the AP voters are only gonna uh AP voters are only gonna make enough uh only gonna make enough room for like three maybe four ACC teams max so it's gonna be tough to uh to fight your way on up there but uh, as you know uh if you Patrick if you listen to our ACC Atlantic Spring Gleaning we have good feelings about Jeff Halfley the future of the program uh, Phil Dracovic and Zay Flowers both back leading what should be a dynamic passing attack. You just got to get a little bit better at running the ball and a lot better at defense, particularly at the linebacker position. Is that right, Tom? If I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So you've got your instructions, Patrick. Just take it to Coach Halfley, get it together, and uh, take down Mizzou, and you'll at least be up in the uh, – you'll you'll have at least a 2021 entry into your Boston College Eagles AP poll history. We've got – Rocket Mortgage is the new presenting sponsor of Michigan State Athletics. Basketball. Ah. So, uh, under well, the new five-year deal. Tucker, though. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, shoot. Well, I guess maybe it's going to expand to... Yeah. Under the new five-year deal, Detroit-based Rocket Mortgage will be presenting sponsor of the famed men's basketball team, which will now be known throughout the Breslin Center as... MSU Spartans presented by Rocket Mortgage. Wait, they're selling the naming rights of the team? Boo. That feels dirty to me. Yeah. Starting in the 2021-22 athletic season, the company, which is a rich history of supporting college athletics, will have unparalleled visibility and branding throughout a variety of Spartan athletic teams, including men's and women's basketball, football, and hockey. Michigan State, oh, quote from Mel Tucker, Michigan State football wishes to, isn't it Michigan State football presented by Rocket Mortgage now, Coach? Now it is. Michigan State football (laughs) wishes to thank Rocket Mortgage for their continued support, not only of our program, but for their overall support for intercollegiate athletics, said Mel Tucker. It's important for championship teams to have championship companies behind them, and Rocket has been a champion for our program for years and will be well into the future. Where are the titles at, Rocket Mortgage? I want to see the rings. (laughs) Banners! You got no banners is it that so this is this is generally me thinking out loud and i've mentioned this before on the show like name image and likeness will this mean that you could see on a rocket mortgage commercial the quarterback of michigan state like getting paid from them it should be right i'm assuming that's where it goes yeah yeah and it's one of those ones where you do have to run the endorsements by the school clearly they would be okay with this one if you were their spokesman so maybe these are the types of opportunities where the players start to make significant money like it's a good thing for the players but if they act like the players championship and make me always write the michigan state spartans presented by rocket mortgage the way that the players championship wants it in all caps the players every single time that it's mentioned i'm gonna have some issues we're gonna you still do it though we're gonna you take still a, do it we're going to take our style guide and we're going to have a fight. I can't wait for like the, the Georgia Bulldogs football team presented by Waffle House to take the field next fall. Uh, Jeff Collins on line three. He's on his way to be able to lock that up before the Bulldogs can get there without a doubt. Maybe maybe future mailbag episode will uh, we'll do the, the best sponsorship for each school. That's a good idea. All right, you've got your homework. Hey, go and put it in the Apple reviews. If you've got a good idea for a college football team sponsorship, add it in the Apple reviews in a five-star mailbag. We'll read them next week in the mailbag episode and offer some of our own. Uh, that's a 
It's a very good idea. Shout out to Coca for uh, for dropping that one in there, and uh, and we'll we'll spend the week brainstorming our best team sponsorships, and uh, we will read them on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Red Lobster's off limits. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.